0: Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen Wa salatu wa salam ala abdillahi wa rasulih Nabiina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'een Our last talk for this, I guess, mini-conference over the last two days in Southampton is an invitation from Allah. And the way that I want to take this is i want to base it around the statement of Allah Azza wa Jalla that Allah said in Suratul Anfal Ya ayyuhalladhina amanu istajibu lillahi wal-rasuli idha da'akum lima yuhiikum wa'lamu anna Allaha yahul bayna al-mar'i wa qalbihi وَأَنَّهُ إِلَيْهِ تُحْشَرُونَ وَاتَّقُوا فِتْنَةً لَّا تُصِيبَنَّ الَّذِينَ ظَلَمُوا مِنكُمْ خَاصًّا وَعْلَمُوا أَنَّ اللَّهَ شَدِيدُ الْعِقَابِ I want to base our whole discussion around this this ayah Because this title, it was given, it was a very interesting title. And I remember I said to the organizer, I said, what did you mean by this title? An invitation from Allah. And we spoke about some weak hadith on the topic, and we spoke about, but for me, the invitation, the greatest invitation from Allah, is this invitation in Surah Al-Anfal. O you who believe, answer. Allah and His Messenger, when they invite you to what gives you life. Istajibu lillah Answer Allah's invitation. Answer the invitation of Allah and His Messenger when they call you, when they invite you to what will give you life. And know that Allah comes between a person and their heart and that to him you will be gathered. And beware of a trial. That doesn't affect the oppressive among you alone. And know that Allah is severe in Iqab. His punishment is severe. This is between ayah number 24 and 25 in Surah Al-Anfal. Wallahi, this, this ayah contains more than we can talk about in this time. Wallahi. But I just want to highlight some points. استجيبوا لله. You are commanded that Allah is going to call you to certain things. Allah calls you to worship Him alone. Allah calls you to prayer. Allah Azza wa Jalla calls you to fast. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala calls you to make hajj. Allah calls you to things. You now have a choice. Either you answer Allah's call or either you refuse whoever wants to believe let them believe and whoever wants to disbelieve it's their choice if they disbelieve Allah invites you Allah doesn't force you Allah جل, doesn't compel you that you should pray Allah as doesn't drag you by. Your faces or by your tongues or by your limbs and force you to perform the Hajj or doesn't force you to learn beneficial knowledge in this religion But Allah Azza wa Jal calls you Ida da'akum, And everything that Allah calls you to is what brings you life and This reminds me of the statement of Allah, Azza wa Jal, Awa mankana mate and fa ahi na huwa jaal nala hu noorayam shibihi fin nasikam and methalu hu fil zulumati laisa biharijin minha. Kathari kazuyin alil kafirina makanu yaamalun. Surah Al An'am, ayah number 122. What about the one who was dead? And we gave him life, and we made for him a light by which he walks among the people. Is that person like the one who is in the darkness Who is never going to get out of it And in this way we make it We make it pleasing to the disbelievers What they used to do So Allah tells us about some people Who used to be dead And Allah gave them life And Allah made for them a light And the best of what is said about this light Is that this light is nurul Ilm so the first thing that Allah Azza wa gives you life with is al-ilm. Al-ilm righteous actions. Allah Azza wa gives you and calls you to beneficial knowledge and righteous actions. Surah al fatiha he is the one who sent his messenger with al-huda wa deen al-haq. Al-huda, the meaning of al-huda here is he sent him with knowledge that benefits you. And he sent him with deen al-haq, he sent him with the religion of truth to make it apparent over all of the other religions. And Allah is enough of a witness. So Allah and His Messenger, the first thing that they call you to is Al ilm nafi wal-amal salih. They call you to beneficial knowledge and righteous action. And this beneficial knowledge it is what makes you alive after you were dead. What about the one who was dead? And this dead person, we brought them back to life. The person who was dead because of disbelief or they were dead because of their ignorance and Allah gave them life and the life that Allah Azza gave them is He gave them beneficial knowledge and righteous action and that beneficial knowledge and righteous action it brought them back to life after they were dead Allah calls you to learn your religion. Say, my Lord, increase me in knowledge. Allah calls you to learn your religion. And Allah calls you to practice it. And that's what the Messenger sallallahu alayhi came with in summary. What did he come with? What did he come with? He came with Al Salih. Beneficial knowledge and righteous action. That's what the Prophet was sent with. He sent his messenger with beneficial knowledge and righteous action. He sent him with beneficial knowledge and righteous action. This it gives you life. You have a choice now. Will you accept that invitation from Allah? Or will you turn away from that invitation? Because Allah called you and His Messenger called you to what will bring you to life after you were dead. And in the ayah in Surah Al An'am, what brings you to life is Nurul Ilm, the light of knowledge and acting upon that knowledge. And if you choose to turn away, wa'alamu anna Allah al mar'i wa qalbi. That Allah عز wa comes between a person and their heart. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can di- divert your heart away from that guidance, away from that knowledge, away from that righteous action, into ashubuhat wa-shahawat. Allah called you to what? al ilmun nafi wal salih Beneficial knowledge and righteous action. What is the opposite of beneficial knowledge? In this sense that Allah عز wa turns your heart to shubuhat, and the knowledge that harms you and doesn't benefit you. And confusion, and doubts, and misconceptions, shukuk, shubuhat. The person becomes hayran, they don't know, they're confused about things. They don't have good knowledge of their religion, so Allah comes between their heart, and Allah fills their heart with shukuk, with doubts. And Allah fills their heart with shubuhat. With confusion and misconceptions. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes them confused in their religion because they didn't answer Allah's call. They didn't answer their invitation from Allah. And the Messenger وسلم, called them. And what Allah and His Messenger called to Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is righteous action. And if a person doesn't answer the call of Allah with regard to that righteous action, what does Allah do? Allah comes between them and their heart. So He fills their heart with al Hawa, with desires, and He fills their heart with a cravings. And Allah Azza wa Jal makes them someone who follows the evil of their soul. The soul is constantly inclined towards evil. So you see, the person who doesn't answer the call to Allah the call from Allah, for beneficial knowledge, this person, their heart is full of doubts and misconceptions. And the person who doesn't answer Allah's call to righteous action, their hearts are full of their desires and their cravings and following their nafs. <laughs> do you see the one that Allah, and do you see the one who took, do you see the one who took their desires as their God. The one who took their desires as their God because they didn't answer the call of Allah Azza. And sometimes Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala He might only call you one time, He might give you that chance to answer Allah Azza wa and sometimes if you don't answer Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the punishment of Allah can be swift upon a person. If they don't answer the invitation of Allah azzawajal. There are situations where a person is given an invitation from Allah and they don't answer it. Like Allah azzawajal, he said, We turn away their hearts, and we turn away their eyes, because they didn't believe in the first time. They didn't believe the first time. And Allah leaves them وَنَذَرُهُمْ يعمهون, And we leave them in their oppression to wander blindly. This is the consequence of not answering the invitation that Allah Azza wa Jal invites you to. تحشرون, and you are going to be gathered to Allah. And Allah calls you to the Akhirah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala calls you to the Akhirah. As Allah Azza wa Jal, He told us, وَاللَّهُ ila إِلَىٰ دَارِ السَّلَامِ وَيَهْدِي مَن يَشَاءُ إِلَىٰ siratin مُسْتَقِيمٍ Allah calls you to the home of the hereafter. To the home of peace. Allah calls you to Jannah. And Allah guides who He wants to a straight path. So Allah calls you to the Sirat Al-Mustaqeem. Allah Azza wa Jal calls you to the Sirat Al-Mustaqeem. The Sirat, which is the Sirat of who? فَأُولَئِكَ مَعَ الَّذِينَ أَنَعَمَ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِمْ مِنَ الْنَّبِيِينَ وَالصَّدِيقِينَ وَالشُّهَدَاءِ وَالصَّالِحِينَ وَحَسُنَ أُولَئِكَ رَفِيقًا. The prophets, those who are most truthful in their belief, the martyrs and the righteous, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala calls them to Jannah. And they answered that call. So you walk behind them on that path and Allah calls you to Allah's straight path. ضَارَبَ and مَثَلًا mustaqima. The Prophet ﷺ said, Allah give you the example of Allah's straight path. It is a path that has walls, the walls have doorways and the doorways are covered with curtains. When a person enters the path, a caller cries out, O oh servants of Allah, stick to Allah's straight path and do not deviate. And when a person approaches those walls and tries to go through the curtains and into the doorway, a caller cries out, "O servant of Allah, don't go into it because if you go or don't lift it, for if you lift it, you will certainly go into it. The straight path is Allah's straight path. And the walls are the limit of Allah, limits of Allah. And the curtains, they cover the doorways which lead to what Allah made haram. The caller at the beginning of the path The caller at the beginning of the path Is the Quran And the caller when you're about to go into that haram Is Wa'idhullah fi qalbi kulli muslim. It is Allah's warning sign in the heart of every believer The fitrah that is strengthened with The knowledge of what is right and wrong in Islam And the revelation That guides you as to what you should and shouldn't do Allah calls you to the straight path. You choose. Allah calls you to the straight path. You choose. This path is not confusing. No one can say I didn't know where the straight path was. The Prophet said, "Layluhā la anha illa halik." Its night is like its day. Nobody deviates from it except that they are destroyed. So its path is clear. It's clear. There's no confusion in the path that takes you to Jannah. Allah calls you to the home of peace. Allah calls you to make Jannah your ham, your biggest concern, your worry and your anxiety, and to just spend your whole life striving and working to get Jannah. What Allah is offering you to exchange for this work that you're doing, what Allah is offering you is expensive. What Allah is offering you is Jannah. Jannah is not cheap, ikhwan. Jannah is not cheap. Jannah is something that is worth something. It has value to it. It has value to it. And something which is so valuable, it requires dedication. It requires you to keep on walking on that path and to remain on that path until you die. Worship your Lord until that which is certain, meaning death comes to you. And Allah جل, in the same ayah when He calls us to what gives us life, He tells us to be careful of something. Beware of a trial. It doesn't only affect the oppressive people among you. Normally, if the oppressive people do a sin, mean people do something haram, they are the ones who get the punishment. But be careful. sometimes perhaps Allah would send a fitnah that will go for everybody. Everybody gets into it. Everybody is affected by it. And know that Allah's punishment is severe. What are some of the things that Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala invited us to? We talked about being invited to the straight path. In reality, when Allah tells us that he invites us to that which gives us life, some of the scholars, they brought specific answers to it. Some of them said, لما يحييكم أي إلى الجهاد. Some of them said he calls you to fight for the sake of Allah because Surah Al-Anfal, is a surah that is all about, and one of the main themes of the surah is fighting for the sake of Allah. So they said that this ayah, in context of the ayat, it came like that. Others they said, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala invites you to everything which gives you life in this world and the next. Because there are two types of life, right? There is Hayatul Abdan and Hayatul Quloob. The life of the body and there is the life of the heart. There's the life of the body and there is the life of the heart. And Allah calls you to what will give your heart life. And Allah calls you to what will give your body life. And from this point of view, some of them said, and other specific things that Allah calls a person to. But in reality, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala calls you to many, many, many things. And from this, I want to take something important. Everything that Allah commands you with, it will bring you a happy and successful life in this world and the hereafter. And everything Allah made haram, and I say this to the shabab especially, the brothers in the back, and so on. Pay attention to this one. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, everything Allah made haram, is something that's going to cause you misery in this life and the next. Wallah. People say, why Allah made this haram for me? Why is my religion so restrictive? Everything Allah calls you to, every command, every single thing in Islam, it brings you a life. It gives you the best life in this world and the best life in the hereafter. And everything that Allah warned you against and prohibited you from is something that brings you misery in this life and the hereafter. Allah is arhamur rahimin. Allah didn't make our religion hard. You Allahu bikumul yusr wala usr Allah wants your religion to be easy. He doesn't want to make it hard for you. So everything that came haram. Everything Allah Azzawajal made haram, He made it haram because it's bad for you. Because it's going to kill you. Either it's going to kill your heart, or it's going to kill your body, or it's going to kill your dunya, or it's going to kill your akhirah. That's why Allah made it haram. And everything that Allah calls you to, it brings you happiness, and it brings you a proper, a good life. It brings you a good life, and a happy life. فَلَنُحِيَنَّهُ حَيَاةً طَيِيبَةً. We will certainly make him live the best life in this world and in the next. haram الله من حرام ومن أعرض أن ذكري فإن له معيشة طنكا ونحشره يوم القيامة أعمى. قال رَبِّي لِمَا حشرتني أعمى وقد كنت بصيرة. قال كذلك أَتَتْكَ قال كذلك أتت آياتنا فنسيتها وكذلك اليوم تنسى. Whoever turns away from my remembrance is going to live a really restricted, depressed, and miserable life. In this world, in the grave, and in the akhirah. And we're going to raise him Yom Al-Qiyamah blind. He will say, my Lord, why did you raise me blind when I used to be able to see? He will say, this is how my ayat came to you. You ignored them. You forgot about what you were told. I called you. I called you to what was going to bring you life and what was going to bring you sight. But when you turned around from my ayat and you walked away, I made you blind. وَكَذَلِكَ الْيَوْمَ تُنْسَى And today you'll be forgotten. So we need to understand the consequences of not answering Allah's invitation is misery in this dunya and misery in the grave and misery al qiyamah. And the consequences of answering Allah's invitation is happiness in this dunya. Does it mean that you're going to become multi-millionaire and you're going to live in the number of houses and drive fast cars and, you know, live the most... It doesn't mean, but you will have the, the, what they call sa'adatul qalb, the happiness of the heart. Some of the early generations, they said, if the royal families, the kings, if they knew... What we had, the happiness that we had in ourselves, they would have fought us with their swords to get this happiness. We I mean, need to get that relaxation and that feeling. And some of them, they used to crave just to, I wish I could just feel the happiness that I see from the students who sit in the masjid and they learn the, the words of the hadith of the Prophet Sallallahu Wasallam the, the way that they feel when they're learning that religion, I wish I could feel that happiness. And in some of the khulafa they used to say this. They used to say, I experienced every happiness in my life, except the happiness of sitting in the gathering of the hadith, when the people mentioned the hadith of the Prophet So a person needs to understand, what Allah Azzawajal calls you to brings you happiness in this life. It brings you happiness in your grave, and it brings you happiness in your akhirah. Allah calls you to believe in Him, and the Messenger sallallahu alayhi calls you. As Allah said, Why don't you believe in Allah, while the Messenger calls you to believe in your Lord? This is now, Answer Allah and answer his messenger. The messenger calls you to believe in your Lord. And he took a promise from you. If you're really believers. I want you to think about how the messenger called you to believe in your Lord. The hadith of Mu'adh ibn Jabal. When the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam sent him to Yemen. إِنَّكَ تَقْدَمُ عَلَىٰ قَوْمٍ أَهْلِ الْكِتَابِ فَلْيَكُنْ أَوَّلَ مَا تَدْعُوهُمْ إِلَيْهِ عِبَادَةُ اللَّهِ The Prophet ﷺ, he said, O oh Mu'adh, you're going to a people of the book. So let the first thing that you call them to be the worship of Allah. In some narrations, أَنْ يُوَحِدُ اللَّهِ The Tawheed of Allah. In some narrations, shahadata an la ilaha illallah. What do those three narrations tell us, by the way? Three narrations, the same hadith. One of them says, ibadatullah, worshipping Allah. One of them says, an yuwahidullah, the tawheed of Allah. One of them says, shahadata an la ilaha illallah. The shahada. It tells us that these three all mean the same thing. La ilaha illallah la بحق إلا illallah nobody deserves to be worshipped except Allah ibadatullah shahada to an la ilaha illallah worshipping Allah azza wa alone and the توحيد of Allah and that this shahada is a shahada of a tawheed. the oneness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala this is the first thing the messenger called you to because he said to Mu'adh, you're going to go as a and now, Mu'adh. You're going to Yemen to give da'wah. You're going to give an invitation to the people. The first thing we invite everyone to, and you Allah, Let them make the tawheed of Allah. That they worship Allah alone and they don't make any partner with him. This is the first thing that Allah and his messenger called you to. When Nuh came to his people, what did he say? to worship Allah, and what do you do? and obey me, you were called to worship Allah Azza wa Jal, my people worship Allah, you don't have any partner, anyone worthy of worship except him, no one deserves to be worshipped except him, So the first thing that we've been called to and invited to by Allah is to worship Allah alone. Then what? فَإِذَا عَرَفُوا اللَّهَ If they know Allah and Allah's right, Let them know that Allah has made five prayers in the day and the night. How do we know we've been invited to pray five times a day apart from the hadith of Mu'adh? What does the Mu'adhin say? Hayya ala sala al-falāh. Come to success. Come to success. And come to the prayer. There's a hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi I just want to get the translation. I don't have a good translation because I don't. I don't even know how to translate this exactly. It's narrated in Abi Dawood. Uh, it's narrated in the Sunan of Abi Dawood. And Al Nasai also narrated it. That the Prophet sallallahu he said. Do you hear the muaddin say, come to the prayer and come to success? قال نعم. He said yes. The Prophet said, hala. He said, then you have to come to them. You must respond to them. You must respond to them. Do you hear the call Hayya ala salati, hayya ala falah Then you must answer that record Then you must answer that call That you are called to Allah and his messenger call you to the prayer The prayer is what gives you life After la ilaha illallah Muhammad rasulullah sallallahu alayhi sallam. طيب once you've done that فَإِذَا فَعَلُوا فَأَخْبِرْهُمْ أَنَّ اللَّهَ قَدْ فَرَضَ عَلَيْهِمْ زَكَاتًا تُأْخَذُ مِنْ أَغْنِيَائِهِمْ فَتُرَدُ عَلَىٰ فُقَرَائِهِمْ Tell them that Allah has given them a zakat they have to pay. It's taken from the wealthy and given to their poor people. Yani from their rich people and given to their poor people. فَإِذَا أَطَاعُوا بِهَا فَأَخُذْ مِنْهُمْ وَتَوَقَّعْ كَرَائِمًا and if they obey you in this, then take their zakah and don't take the very best of what they have. The, the zakah collector doesn't take the best or the worst. But here's a beautiful description of what you're called to. Any Mu'ad is sent, the first thing tell people, Tawheed. If they listen to this and they know what they are doing in this, then tell them five daily prayers. If they listen to this and they obey you in this, then tell them to perform the to perform the zakah. Allah calls you to safety from punishment. In this beautiful story Allah tells us in Surah Ghafir about the man from the people of Fir'aun who concealed his iman. And he says, يَا قَوْمِ مَا لِي أَدْعُوكُمْ إِلَى النَّجَاهِ لِي إِلَى nar تدعونني لأكفر بالله وأشرك بما ليس لي به علم وأنا أدعوكم إلى العزيز الغفار لا جرم أنما تدعونني إليه ليس له دعوة في الدنيا ولا في الآخرة وأنما ردنا إلى الله وأن المسرفين هم أصحاب النار فستذكرون ما أقول لكم وأفوض أمري إلى الله إن الله بصير بالعباد My people, what is the matter that I call you to safety? Safety from Allah's punishment. And you call me to the hellfire. You call me to make a partner with Allah and disbelieve in Him. and make, You call me to disbelieve in Allah and make a partner with Him in what there, there is no knowledge of. And I call you to Al-Aziz Al-Ghaffar. To the Almighty, the One who forgives always forgives. There is no doubt that what you call me to, it has no da'wah in this world or the hereafter. This is powerful. There's no doubt that what you're calling me to to make partners with Allah, you're calling me, whether you're calling me to the grave or you're calling me to the tree or you're calling me to the stars or you're calling me, what you're calling me to, it has no da'wah. It has no invitation. Nor can it answer my dua. Neither in this dunya or in the akhirah. And we will be returned to Allah. And those people who transgress will be the people of the fire. So you will remember what I said to you. And I put my trust in Allah. Allah is the one who sees everything that his servants do. Calling you to safety. Islam calls you to be safe from the punishment of Allah. It calls you to be safe from the hellfire. And it calls you to be safe from the things that take you away from Allah. And that's why Allah Azza wa He said, It is these people who are these people, al-mushrikīn wal-mushrikāt. I mentioned in the ayah, يؤمن." Don't marry. The polytheists, till they believe. Until Allah said, أُولَٰئِكَ ilan nar." It is the people who make a partner with Allah, they're calling you, they're inviting you to the hellfire. And it is Allah who is calling you to Jannah. Allah invites you to Jannah. And Allah invites you to forgiveness by His permission. And Allah makes clear His ayat to the people so that they may remember. Allah calls you to what? To Jannah. Allah is inviting you to Jannah. Allah is inviting you to forgiveness. Allah Is inviting you to Jannah. Allah Is inviting you to forgiveness. He's teaching you how to get to Jannah. He's teaching you how to be forgiven. And He wants you to do this. He loves for you to be in Jannah. He loves for you to be forgiven. Allah loves for you to go to Jannah and loves for you to be forgiven. But you now must do what it is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has instructed you with. The means of reaching Jannah. And you reach Jannah by answering the commands of Allah Azzawajal and implementing the commands of Allah and by keeping away from what Allah Azzawajal made. Haram. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He told us, We certainly gave a command to those given the scripture before you and to all of you to have taqwa of Allah. Allah calls you to have taqwa. And what does taqwa mean? It's the same as what we heard in the ayah. What is the matter that I call you to be safe? To be safe from Allah's anger, to be safe from Allah's punishment, to be safe from the hellfire. That is a taqwa. To shield yourself from Allah's anger, Allah's curse, Allah's punishment and the hellfire. How do you shield yourself from it? From the best of that which is said about this is the statement of talq ibn habib uh, rahimahullah ta'ala that he said al-amalu bi ta'ati llah ala nurin min llah raja'a thawab llah wa tarku ma'asi llah ala nurin min llah that you act in obedience to allah upon a light of guidance from allah hoping for allah's reward and you leave disobedience to allah Upon a light of guidance from Allah, fearing Allah's punishment. Allah calls you to obey Him in the best way you can, based upon the sunnah, with the intention of hoping for Jannah. And Allah calls you to leave disobedience to Him. In light of the sunnah, keeping and fearing Allah's punishment. And if you do this, this is the thing that Allah said, Whoever has taqwa of Allah, Allah will make him a way out of every problem. And Allah said, And if you have taqwa of Allah, Allah will teach you. And Allah said, And when you go on a journey, the best thing you can take on your journey is taqwa. So have taqwa of me, O people of intellect. Allah Azza wa Jalla calls you to forgive you. Allah tells you how to make tauba. Allah calls you to make tauba. قالت رسولهم أَفِنَ اللَّهِ شَكٌ فَاطِرِ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ يَدْعُوُكُمْ لِيَغْفِرَ لَكُمْ مِنْ ذُنُوبِكُمْ وَيُؤَخِّرَكُمْ إلَى أَجَلٍ مُسَمَّى their messenger said, is there any doubt in Allah, the creator of the heavens and the earth? He's calling you, he's inviting you to forgive you for your sins. And to delay you for an appointed time. He's calling you to forgive you. Allah Azza wa says in the hadith Qudusi, the hadith which the Prophet narrates from him, فَاسْتَغْفِرُونِ أَغْفِرْ لَكُمْ Ask my forgiveness and I will forgive you. Allah calls you to make dua to him. Allah calls you to ask him to forgive you. Allah calls you to tawbah and repentance. And if you do this, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will forgive you. Ask my forgiveness and I will forgive you. And from that which Allah azza wa jal calls us to, And the Messenger, Sallallahu calls us to... From that which Allah, جل, calls us to, and that which the Messenger, Sallallahu calls us to, is the best and the most noble of behaviors and manners. The Prophet, Sallallahu said, That's the wording from Musnad Imam Ahmed. And outside of the Musnad, I was only sent to perfect the best of manners. The best of manners with Allah, the best of manners with the creation. Allah calls you to this. And the Messenger Sallallahu called you to this. The best of manners with Allah and the best of manners with Allah's creation. And that's why, if we bring it back to the hadith of Mu'adh, when the Prophet ﷺ sent him to Yemen, he said, Have taqwa of Allah wherever you are and follow up a bad deed with a good one, it will wipe it out and treat the people with the best of manners. These are just a sample of the things. Otherwise, we could have, talked, we could have uh, spoken about, and we could have talked about the Hajj, for example. Call out to the people and invite them to come to Hajj. It's narrated that Ibrahim said, My Lord, how will they hear me? I'm one man. I'm going to call the people, Adhin here. It means to call, invite the people to hajj. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He said to Ibrahim that your responsibility is to call the people, and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make the message, will make that message reach every part of the world. How many people delay that? Just as an example, how many people delay? They say, I will do it, you know, next year, next year. Now the price doubled from what it was before. How many people 10 years ago they said, Or inshallah, maybe next year, maybe the year after. And then when the price doubles, they say, subhanallah, it's very hard for me. And maybe the price again doubles in another 10 years. And so on and so forth. Answer what Allah calls you to. And the statement of Allah, O you who believe, enter into Islam completely. Meaning, answer the invitation of Allah in every aspect of Islam. And don't follow the footsteps of the shaytan. Because what does the shaytan call you to? The shaytan calls you to al-fahshah, immorality. The shaytan calls you to evil. The shaytan calls you, to say about Allah what you don't know. The shaytan calls you to the other paths. And this is my straight path, so follow it, and don't follow the other paths. Because they take you away from my path. The Prophet ﷺ, one day, he drew a line. One day, the Prophet ﷺ, he drew a line. And with this line, he drew lines that go off to one side and the other. He said, Ataduruna Mahada. He said, Do you know what this is? And he drew lines to his left and lines to his right. Do you know what this is? He said, Sabilullah, this is Allah's straight path. And these lines that go off, in some of the narrations he said, these paths to the left and right, minha On every corner of that path is a shaitan that is inviting you to take a path other than the straight path. A path that is not the path of the prophets, nor is the path of the people who are truthful in their belief, nor is it the path of the righteous, nor is it the path of the martyrs, but the path of the shayateen that take you away from Allah's path. On every corner of the straight path, every way, every path that goes away from Allah's straight path, there is الشيطان يدعو إليه الشيطان who says come on this way فَعَلَيْكُمْ بسنتي. وسنت الخلفاء الراشدين Stick to my sunnah and the sunnah of the خُلَفَاءِ الرَّاشِدِينَ عَلَيْهَا بالنواجد. Bite onto it with your molar teeth وَإِيَّاكُمْ الْأُمُورِ And keep away from anything which is newly invented in this religion فَإِنَّ كُلَّ محدثة بدع. وَكُلَّ بِدْعَةٍ ضَلَالَةٍ For every... Or he said, in, in this one, he said, <بِدْعَة> Every newly invented practice is an innovation, and every innovation in this religion is misguidance. For this is just a brief description of what Allah calls you to, and what His Messenger Sallallahu called you to, and some of the points that are related to that. And whoever wants more, I would suggest they start with the tafsir of this ayah, ayah number twenty-four in Surat al-Anfal. Ya ustajibu lillahi idha lima O you who believe, answer the call of Allah and His Messenger when they invite you to that which gives you, which gives you life. I think now, InshaAllah Taala, it's a good idea for us to have our Q&A session bi ta'ala And uh, I don't really have a way to get Q&A from YouTube I don't usually allow comments, although they might be accidentally switched on sometimes, but Comments, to be honest with you, I gave up on comments on YouTube, because Wallahi, like, it's full of either jahlun murakab Compound ignorance of people just being, you know, insulting you or just being foolish or it's full of people who are just interested in what you're wearing. Oh, he's got a new hat today. <laughs> I don't know where he got it from. I'm telling you about Jannah. You're worried about what I'm wearing on my head. أَدَاكُمُ Allah. <laughs> <laughs> May Allah Azza wa guide us all. Wallah, it's very sad. I give up completely on YouTube comments. Even though people do ask beneficial questions, but it's just finding it in the sea of just rubbish, Either people, so I noticed, well, I think he's put a pound of weight on. Are you watching my weight more than I am? (laughs) Oh, Ostal's got a little mark on his head. I don't know where. I heard that it came from Wallah, listen to the benefit of the talk. Don't just talk rubbish. If you came to talk rubbish, irham nafsik. Just go and sit by yourself in a room. It's better for you than to come and just talk rubbish like people do. And then the comments, the insults, and so on, so I just gave up on YouTube comments, to be honest with you. I've given up on it. Uh, but sometimes it gets enabled by accident, but anyways, we try our best not to, or to switch it off afterwards. It's, there's not very much good in it. Even if people do sometimes ask the occasional, good question. So the questions will be limited to the people in the room today. Shall we start with the sisters? The thing is, if, I do, if, I, if we first of all do the ones on the topic, why, because I'll stop the live stream and then I'll do a general Q&A session. Like at the same time, I'll just stop it and start it again.
1: I've got nothing specifically on this topic. That
0: we just... Okay, then just give general questions and bismillah.
1: How should Muslim sisters respond to comments and hate crimes due to hijab, jubba, naqba, etc.?
0: How should Muslim sisters respond to comments and hate crimes with, with due to or that are due to the hijab and in general we talk about the hijab, the niqab, the jilbab, like the, the concept of hijab the first thing is be careful of a shubha that many people fall into and that is that because these things happen sometimes in rare situations people say I shouldn't wear hijab in reality not wearing hijab brings the punishment of Allah as for wearing it If it brings some other from time to time from some of the people, some negative comments or some people might shout or might point or might even cause you some physical harm. That is nothing in comparison to what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala might do to a person who disobeys him. So don't be a person who takes a tiny number of incidents, because let's be honest, in UK the number of incidents that relate to the hijab are very small in comparison to other incidents, If you look at the number of times people get their, you know, bag snatched or their, you know, wallet stolen or something in comparison to the number of people who get something happen to them because they wear the hijab, it's very very small. But it does happen. But don't allow that to be a reason to disobey Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's the first point. The second thing is expect the reward from Allah for the difficulties that you face. When you are practicing Allah's religion, we mentioned in the last class. What did we mention? The Hadith: "Bada al-Islam ghariban wa ghariban kama bada' Paradise is for the people who are strange, the people who are practicing Islam in the time when the other people stop practicing it. The people who "yuslihuna ma nasum in Sunnati." They correct what the people corrupted from the Sunnah of the Messenger Sallallahu so don't worry. And in reality, wallahi, I will also say one more thing. That whether you wear hijab or you don't wear hijab, whatever you put on your face, whatever makeup, whatever, wallahi, whatever cosmetic surgery, they will never be happy with you. Until you become a Jew or a Christian, they will never be happy with you. And that's why we see these People, they try to take off the hijab or reduce the hijab or wear makeup to fit in (laughs) Wallah, you don't fit in I'm I'm telling you, it doesn't matter what your skin color is It doesn't matter what you wear You will not fit in with these people until you take their religion So don't bother Why try? Just may do what pleases Allah And then worry about the people after that. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, those people who believe and do righteous deeds, Allah will put love for them on the earth. You will find people that will support you, you will find people that will defend you. And if you find a certain place difficult, don't be frightened to make hijrah. And when I say hijrah, I don't even mean to a Muslim country. But there is even Hijrah from a place which is worse, to a place which is better. If you find that a particular city is hard for you, or you find that a particular area of the city is really hard for you, and people give you a hard time, then look to move to a different area. And if you're struggling with that, ask for help, first from Allah, and then ask people, say, look, I'm looking to move because I'm struggling with my hijab, people always shouting at me and making comments about me. So if you know of any place, wallah, maybe you'll find so many people who will say, you know, inshallah ta'ala, we'll find you a place. Yeah, inshallah, we'll try to sort something out. Because people want to try to do their best to help inshallah ta'ala. So honestly, I say that the UK as a whole is also a place where not every city is the same and not every area is the same. So don't be frightened to move to a different area where InshaAllah, ta'ala you feel more comfortable in that hijab But don't compromise for the sake of people Because this will bring you Allah's anger And the people will still never be happy with you That's why the best thing you can do Wallahi my advice is To completely disconnect your heart From what people think about you Because wallahi when, you th- when you're worried about What people think about you You'll never ever be happy You'll always be miserable Yes take beneficial nasiha I don't mean that like if somebody gives you good advice, says, look, I've seen this about you or you should improve this, take beneficial nasiha. But don't just live with that. And for me, wallahi, I'll be, be honest. I know it's a bit of a different question, but I, I, it's important as well. When I say don't, don't be attached to what people think of you, I don't care if it's madh or if it's them. I don't care if they praise you or if they curse you. For me, it's the same. I don't, it doesn't bother me at all. Someone says, oh, you know, let Someone says, oh, it's the best. Someone says, it's the worst. Wallahi, la <laughs> ubali. I don't care at all. Whether you think it's the best or you think it's the worst. What I care about is if I made a mistake, I correct it. And if I did something, Allah accepted it. As for what the people think, ah, praise away. Your praise means nothing to me. And criticize away for your criticism doesn't mean anything to me unless it's based upon knowledge. And if it's based upon knowledge, then we do our best to implement it. Otherwise, we want Allah's acceptance, not the acceptance of the people. And that's why I see some people, they're so miserable in their life because they're so attached to what other people think of them. They live their life worrying about what next door neighbors think and what this person thinks of me and do people like me or don't like me? I'll give you some advice, Wallahi, just think only about Allah. Take beneficial criticism, don't misunderstand. If someone gives you criticism that is based on knowledge and has a benefit to it, take it. But otherwise, Wallahi, the people, their judgments about you don't count for anything. No. And Allah Azawajal knows best. You got another question? For okay, for the brothers? I bet the brothers have a lot of questions. If the sisters have more, keep going. Is coming to the for lessons,
1: lectures, an appropriate reason for a sister to leave the home.
0: A sister can leave the home to come to a lecture, but she needs to have certain conditions. The first condition is that she can leave the home in a way that is obedience to Allah and not disobedience. So the way she wears, the way she dresses, the way she behaves. The second condition is that she doesn't put herself in danger in doing so. Like she doesn't put herself in some danger. For example, there are some times, it's not safe. For example, she came in the middle of the night to class at after Isha or something, and the area is not safe. No, so she has to be safe, and she has to leave the home in a way that is pleasing to Allah, and she has to have the permission of her guardian. Uh, in general, I any mean, there might be some issues in that, but in general, she has to have the permission of her guardian and the one that's responsible for her. And if she fulfills that, then there's no harm. And if she can catch the lecture at home, also there is no harm. I any mean, the matter is up to her to, cho- to talk to her guardian and her, for example husband or father, to discuss about what is best in the situation that she's in, I think there is no harm in her coming to the masjid if she wants to come to seek beneficial knowledge the Prophet ﷺ said Don't stop your women from going to the masjid and their houses are better for them One uh, of the practical steps in the West that allows us to
1: be- Closer to our
0: Maker, Practical steps to get closer to Allah. Wallahi, I, there are so many things a person can say, but I'm just going to highlight a few. The first one is seeking beneficial knowledge. I keep saying it, it's like every time I switch your videos on Muhammad I just hear you keep on saying about seeking beneficial knowledge. Wallahi, there is no way to get closer to Allah than by seeking beneficial knowledge and righteous action. In terms of righteous action, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala divided it into two in the hadith مَنْ عَادَ لِي وَلِيًّا فَقَدْ بالحرب. Whoever shows enmity to a wali of mine, I declared war upon them. The first thing is the faraid, the obligatory deeds. My servant never came close to me with something more beloved than what I made obligatory for them. So you start with the obligatory. What is the obligatory? The obligatory is two types. The obligatory is two types. The first type of what is obligatory is what it's obligatory to do. And we call that the wajibat and the fara'id. What about the things that it's obligatory to leave? We call that the muharramat. Any the things that Allah Azzawajal made haram? So you start by doing what Allah told you to do and keeping away from what Allah told you to be haram. And then you build upon it bin nawafil. You build upon it with the voluntary deeds. My servant keeps on doing voluntary deeds until I love him. So getting close to Allah with beneficial knowledge and righteous action. Righteous action is two things. Start with what Allah made obligatory, which means doing what you have to and leaving what is haram, and then build upon it in the voluntary deeds. Does that mean you do everything that Allah made obligatory? It doesn't work like that. But in each area of your ibadah, in each area of your life, you try to look at, look, am I doing my five daily prayers? Yes. Am I missing them? No. Am I delaying them? No. Okay, now let's work on my sunnah prayers. Am I giving my obligatory zakah? Yes, am I missing it? No, am I delaying it past its time? No, okay, now I'm gonna work on voluntary charity and so on like that in each aspect of your your life type. So we said beneficial uh, knowledge and righteous action which is based upon the fara'id and the nawafid, the obligatory deeds and the voluntary deeds. Specifically certain things that bring you near to Allah, one of the, I'm gonna bring you three more. Number one, reciting the Qur'an. Reciting the Qur'an and thinking about it and pondering over it is one of the things that brings you very close to Allah. Make yourself a wird. And this is my advice to myself, Nasih Ali Nafsi. I'm advising myself first and then I'm advising the other people. The first thing I'm advising you is make yourself a wird of the Qur'an, a piece of the Qur'an. Every day I read this piece of the Qur'an. For example, I'm going to divide the Qur'an. Amat al-Salaf, the majority of the Salaf, they finish the Qur'an every 10 days outside of Ramadan. In most people, the average Muslim in the early generations, they finish the Qur'an every 10 days outside of Ramadan. If every month, no problem. But you finish, for example, every month means one juz. Every single day you finish it, and the next day and the next day, and you go back again. If you're memorizing the Qur'an, one juz is not enough. Uh, Abad, you cannot you cannot survive with one juz. You cannot keep the Quran in your head. You need probably at least two, if not three juz a day if you memorize the whole Quran to keep it in your mind. You have to have a wird of two to three juz every day. Thinking about the Quran. Why don't they reflect and think about the Quran? The second thing I'm gonna give you is, I'm gonna give you getting close to Allah by fighting against yourself. Mujahadatun nafs. We all have things we do wrong, like certain things. For example, someone has a bad habit of using bad language. And it's just a bad habit. It just, it comes out, it's a bad habit. So they strive against themselves and they bite their tongue and they try not to do it until they get rid of this habit. This is one of the things that makes you very close to Allah. And the third one I'm going to mention is helping other people. Whenever you find that you're struggling in your life, remember what the Prophet said, Allah will help you as much as you help other people. So do your best to help other people, and Allah will help you." "lah.
1: uh
0: what are the rulings does one need to wear hijab is it mandatory to face the qibla we come back to it inshallah the rulings okay. of sujood tilawa we will come back we will answer it inshallah but i'll, I'll come back to it cuz i'm afraid i will not anything, okay go on go and give me that one and then i'll, I'll answer the Sujur tilawa one at the end inshallah
1: uh, what is your advice for me and my family as I'm invited to a wedding of a close family member's maternal aunts family the family who invited us not practicing and not brilliantly. we only see them very rarely and they'll be offended if we don't go <coughs> um, to keep family ties for the sake of our community I'm unsure whether they will use music or whether they will have any evils or if segregation will be sufficient so I will go fully covered I'll tell them I don't feel comfortable with the music I will only attend wedding I all service in their house before or small hair
0: so this question I'm going to generalize it to give it to make it as beneficial for everybody as possible is about going to a wedding or the associated functions of a wedding the night before the night after all this different the, the different parts of the wedding the walima, the nikah all that stuff when the people Either their aqeedah is wrong, so they have wrong belief about Allah and about Islam, or they're not practicing Islam properly. So in reality, we must keep ties with our relatives. Allah Jalla said, fil wa arhamakum." Do you think that if you turn away you will cause corruption in the earth and break off your family ties? And how will these people come from this false aqeedah to the sunnah, if it's not through Allah and then through people calling them to the correct belief. At the same time, you cannot support and aid someone in something that is wrong. Allah Jalla said, "Wa birri ithmi Cooperate upon righteousness and upon leaving sin. But don't cooperate in sin and transgression. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commanded us when you hear an When you hear the ayat of Allah being disbelieved in, or you hear people making fun of it. Don't sit with people when they're doing these evils until they go to a different discussion. As for the presence of munkar in a gathering. There are two situations. One is that you can go and reduce that munkar. Meaning that when you go out of your haiba, your, you know, your, the, the way they see you, the respect they have for you, yeah, fair enough, we'll turn off the music. Fair enough, we will. You know, we'll let you sit separately. Because they see from you and they want to respect you in that way. So this is good for you to go if you're going to reduce the evil. If you're not gonna reduce the evil and it's gonna make it worse, look for a way to keep those ties without necessarily being directly involved. So maybe you go, you greet the, the bride, You know, for the sister, she goes, greet the bride, greet the family, give them a salaam, make dua for them, ask goodness for them, uh, but apologize, you I mean, privately, you don't have to go to everybody and say, I'm not here because of, but you know, apologize to the person who invited you that look, you know how I feel about the music and things like that, and the men and women sitting together. But I wouldn't want to miss the chance to come and congratulate you upon your wedding, and to ask Allah to bless you in it. And please forgive me that I'm not able to stay. Now either then they reduce the music and separate the people and whatever for your, you know, out of respect for you. Alhamdulillah, or anyways, you you know you did the le- you reduced the harm upon the family. If it's not possible because the event is just full of munkarat you can't even go inside the hall then at least go and see them before the wedding or go and see them after. When they'll have little gatherings, the family will get together or before the wedding, go there, greet them, congratulate them. And say kind words to them, be soft with them and gentle with them, call them to the right thing and explain to them gently and nicely that you know how I am and you know that it's not right to have these kind of things going on and you know that I'm not in favor of these sort of things. You know that it's Allah made it haram and you know for that reason, I'm not going to be able to come, but I don't want to lose this opportunity to keep good ties with you, to come and see you, to congratulate you. Bring them a gift and you give them a gift for the wedding. Any, all of these things, keep the ties with them, but don't participate in the munkar. However, sometimes you will go to a wedding, especially people who are seen as being knowledgeable or you know, people who are practicing, that you'll go to a wedding and they might reduce the munkar for you. And it's not, they should reduce it for Allah, but they might, you know, you come in, and they say, okay, you know, out of respect, we'll turn the music off, and out of respect, you know, like, at least that's something. So the scholars, they say, in this kind of situation, you should go, because you're reducing the evil, even if you can't stop it completely. But even if the evil is very, very severe, at least, at least, go and, at a different time, and offer your congratulations. The same with funeral. If someone's going to do a funeral, they're going to do all kinds of weird stuff and shirkiyat and bid'ah and whatever. And you can't stop it and you can't be a part of it. But at least you can go to the family before the funeral and offer your condolences. and You know, you can at least make dua for the dead person. Allah forgives them and so on. And try to make people see the goodness that is in following the sunnah and call them to practicing the sunnah as much as you can. But you have to keep away from these things which are munkar, these things which are evil, and Allah knows best. Okay, the, right, the rulings of sujood at tilawa So the first thing that we understood, the first thing that we understood is that sujood at tilawa it comes in 15 places in the Quran. It starts at the end of Surah Al-A'raf and the last place is at the end of surah, bismi ladhi The last one, If a believer reads them outside of the salah, they make sujood. And the correct opinion I'm reading you, the statement of Shaykh Manbaz rahimahullah ta'ala, is that there's no need for tahara in it. Yani it's not necessary, for it to have Tahara. And he said, well, That you make the tekbira Allahu Akbar when you go down, but that you don't need to make it when you come up. And you say the same thing that you say in the sujood for the salah, Subhana al a'la, Subhana al a'la, and you make dua whatever is easy. And there's no salamu alaykum wa rahmatullah, And the better opinion is that there is no takbirah when you come up from it. There was another part to the question, wasn't there? The issue of hijab? Yes. Sheikh he said it's not necessary. He said al-sawab la yushtarat. He said this is you're going you you know you're going you are lowering yourself before Allah like when you say subhanallah and like when you say la ilaha illallah. Uh, so he said there is no need for wudu. He said wa laha an tasjuda wa hiya makshufat ar-raas. and she can make sujud when her head is uncovered, because not when she's improperly dressed, because that's not befitting in front of Allah, but she's maybe wearing, you know, her clothing, but she's not wearing a hijab, because this is the the purpose of it is khudu is lowering yourself uh, before Allah, wa uh, Jal. and she, they asked about the qibla, right? Sheikh said it's better. Sheikh Mbaz, he said, well, afdalu and yusjada qibla. It's better that the person makes sujood to the qibla and better for them to have wudu and better for them to be properly covered. But if the person didn't do that, then it wouldn't be harmful. He said, as for the majority, they said it must be towards the qibla. And the Shaykh, he said, well, azhar, في الدليل انه يلحق بالذكر لا he said the what is apparent is that this is something connected to dhikr not to salah so those who connected it to salah said you have to face the qibla and those who connected it to dhikr they said just like you don't say you don't have to say subhanallah facing the qibla you don't have to make sujood al sahw but there's no doubt he said this is what is better and more deserving خروجا من الخلاف to get out of the disagreement between the scholars on that issue no. last one from the sisters well it doesn't have to be but I mean like for now inshallah then we'll ask the brothers the,
1: asking, work. Going
0: on the Prophet sallallahu he said لَا يَحِلُّ لِمْرَأَةٍ تُؤْمِنُ بِاللَّهِ وَالْيَوْمِ الْآخِرِ أَن تُسَافِرَ إِلَّا وَمَعَ هَذِي مَحْرَم أو كَمَا قَالَ it's not allowed for any woman who believes in Allah on the last day to travel anywhere without a mahram. And that's the stronger opinion, that's the correct opinion. It doesn't matter if she's in a group of women, it doesn't matter if it's sefar ta'a, if it's a travelling of obedience. The only time she can travel without a mahram is الدرورة, in a state of necessity. And in this state of necessity, then it's very simple. She should travel in the safest way possible. So maybe she can travel with a sister and that sister's husband. Because she has no choice. It's a a darura or haja, haja masa, a very big need for her. She can also for a very big need. But she can't go to hajj without a mahram. And she can't uh, go on holiday without a mahram or go to work, traveling without a mahram. What is traveling? Traveling is left to the urf in reality. There's no Islamic definition. But approximately if we said, you know, 45 miles, 40 miles, 45 miles, something like that. That's not a shara'i definition, but just a, something takaribi, just to give you a rough idea of what traveling is. Something along those lines is approximately the distance which is considered traveling, but it could be less in some places. For example, Southampton to Portsmouth, how far is that? 20, minutes. 20, miles. 20 miles. And nobody considers it traveling, right? So nobody makes qasr and jammah and any so every, so for example, Southampton to Portsmouth, nobody considers it traveling. What about, for example, your brother goes to Cornwall? How far is that? Very far. How, how long does yeah, it take him by car? Four five hours. Four hours. Safar, right? Everyone, qawlan wahid, and nobody had any ikhtilaf that this is safar and he, ha- he makes qasr and jammah. But there might be some distances where you know, it's up and down. Like some people are like, yeah, I, do, I would say it's traveling. I wouldn't. Da'maa ila maa laa Leave that which you doubt for that which you don't doubt. Taib, we give the brothers a chance now. <laughs> Let's see. as Wa alaykum as-salamu alaykum. This is a little bit off topic as well, but it kind of follows off from that um, the sister's question earlier. Um, is it appropriate for an organization to use music videos to raise money to build a masjid. Uh, the reason why I ask is i had first-hand experience of this recently, and I did try and give the images to his brothers, but what it, what it told me um, is that
1: the community that they're trying to build a masjid for are okay with that, so they, they think that the ends justify the means. Mm.
0: This is a very big problem. The general idea that the ends justify the means is foreign to Islam. Islam doesn't have that. Any the means, they take the same rulings. Yani. So, For example, if someone says, for example, can I raise money for a masjid by robbing a bank? (laughs) All of you would say, now this is from, I'm I'm really, I'm not being, like, I'm not being flippant about, I'm being really serious. All of us would say no, because you would say robbing a bank is haram. And you can't raise money with something haram, even if you want to build a masjid with it. But if someone says, but that's all I can do. The masjid will not be built unless I rob this bank. I have no money, I have no ability to do it. I, the only thing I know how to do is I'm very good at robbing people. And the only thing I know how to do is rob a bank. You would still say absolutely haram. Everyone in this room and everyone watching would say haram. Then is not the issue with music to know whether music is halal or haram? And if we establish that music is haram, what is then the difference between those two things? If you all said universally, no way can you steal money to fund a masjid. Because stealing money is haram. Then no way also can you raise a masjid by musical events, concerts, videos with music in. Also, if we establish that music is haram, and music is haram by the text of the Quran, and by the text of the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu what about the text of the Quran? It came in the Quran in more than one place. But from the clear places in which Allah prohibited music in the Qur'an is ayah number six in Surah al Uqman. From those people are those who purchase Lahwal Hadith. This word lahwal hadith for the Arabs, it comes with only one meaning and that is music. That is what the Arabs understood by this word. Go back to the old Arabic poetry and the Arabic dictionaries. This word the Arabs understood, music. From the people of those who purchase lahwal hadith, any pointless speech to misguide people from the path of Allah without knowledge and they take it as a ridicule or as a joke, it is they who will have a severe punishment. And the Prophet said, and the hadith is in Sahih al-Bukhari. But al-Bukhari narrated this. Al-Bukhari narrated this hadith, he narrated it mu'allaka. He narrated it mu'allaka. What does that mean? He narrated this hadith without a connected chain. However, the chain is being connected outside of, of, of Sahih al-Bukhari. And al-Bukhari, he d- considered it to be authentic. And he mentions it, he says, وَقَالَ Hisham ibn Ammar. And understand that when al-Bukhari says, here he means it's authentic. And al-Bukhari considered it to be authentic. And outside of Sahih al-Bukhari, it has a connected chain. That the Prophet said There will be people in my ummah who will declare Zina and Wearing silk for men and drinking wine and using musical instruments. They will declare it to be halal The very word declare it to be halal means that it is it it is haram wal hadith in Sahih bukhari the hadith is in Sahih al-Bukhari number 5590 and elsewhere and the hadith is narrated with a connected chain outside of uh, outside of Sahih al-Bukhari from them is in Sunan Ibn Majah the hadith narrated uh, that the Prophet said la yashrabanna ناس من الخمرة. There are people from my ummah who will drink alcohol. يسمونها بغير اسمها. They will read, they will give it a name that's not its name. And then he said يعزف على رؤوسهم بالمعازف والمغنيات. He said. Musical instruments will be played for them and singing girls will sing for them. Allah will cause the earth to swallow them up. And Allah will turn them into monkeys and pigs. But the prohibition of music came in the Quran and the Sunnah. So, just as we said that it's not permissible to, to steal money to raise a masjid. So it's also not permissible to use music to raise the masjid. Like someone says, we'll hold a concert, or singing girls, or we'll play instruments, or we'll sing for people and get them to give us money, or we'll put music in our videos for people. As for people saying that some people in the masjid are okay with it, in reality, our religion is not based upon whether some people are okay with it or not. And that could be the case. There could be people in the masjid say, I don't believe the Hadith is authentic. I don't agree with your tafsir of the ayah and Surah Luqman. Okay, but that's your individual preference. That's not a delil. What you feel like is not a delil. I like it. That's not a delil. That's not an evidence in Islam. So we say to people, don't do it like this. Don't waste your deeds. <laughs> Whoever does an action that's not in accordance with our sunnah it will be rejected. Don't waste your deeds by doing something which is so good, building a masjid for the sake of Allah, but doing it in a way that is. In a way that is haram, it's not going to bring anybody any good. Wallahu a'lam. as alaikum. alaykum.
1: as uh, So obviously with the holiday period coming up here, you know, Halloween, Christmas and that, so for those of us that have, say, for example, rebirths who live with our families, that do celebrate these holidays, how do we go about you know, not celebrating them without alienating our family from ourselves and from Islam
0: as a whole? Well, that's a very good question. That's an excellent question. So the question is about uh, people who live with non-Muslim family. And the non-Muslim family, now we're getting into the, that season or where they have a lot of celebrations. So it could be anything from Halloween. You know, then you're going into the time towards Christmas and New Year. And all of the other celebrations they have in this time. They have a lot of different things that people celebrate in this time. The first thing is to remember the principle: cooperate upon righteousness and keeping away from sin, but don't cooperate in sin and transgression. So it's really important that we don't involve ourselves, particularly because many of these events are built upon not just sin. We talked about the wedding which is built upon sin, you know, men and women are together, women are not covered, music is playing, but that's a sin. What about something that's built upon shirk, making a partner with Allah? So it's much, much worse. So now, we have to ask ourselves, how do we keep away from it without alienating, as you said in the question, our families? So I think the first thing is to educate our families about what we believe. Because the worst thing is when the family doesn't understand what they can and can't do. So it makes them upset, everybody gets upset. Oh, you didn't tell us you won't celebrate, why? Like, make it clear from the beginning that honestly, look, I know Christmas is coming up and I know you're gonna wanna get together and I know you don't see it as a religious day. You're telling me I don't even believe it's got any connection to religion. But for me, it is a religious day, so I can't be a part of that. The next thing is, once you've educated them, is that you really need to offer an alternative to them. Because if we don't give them an alternative, it's like saying to them, look, I'm not gonna come together with you at Christmas, I'm not gonna meet you on this day, I'm not gonna celebrate New Year with you, and they're just like, there's nothing for me in this. Give them something. So for example, say any other day, you know, for example, before Christmas, your family is coming here and there, I'm not gonna meet you on Christmas Eve, I'm not gonna meet you on Christmas day with these dinners and everything, But you know what it is, in the week before, if the family are here, I would love to take you guys out We eat together, or I'll organize some food for you guys that's not associated with that festival It's not their food, and it's not the time of their festival Because some people will say, look, you know, your uncles are coming, your cousins are coming, people coming from other places, you never see them, why can't you meet them? No problem, I'll meet them, but I have two conditions The first one is, it's not on their day, the day that's associated with their worship and the second thing is, it's not their food or their customs. I mean, I'm not eating turkey, even if it's halal. I'm not eating, doing the things that they have on that day. I'll eat turkey any other day of the year, but I'm not eating it on that day, because I'm not going to copy their religious customs. But obviously the way you explain to them can't be so rough and tough. You have to be gentle with them and say, look, you have to understand that these things are associated with religion, even if you don't see it to be religious, but they are associated with religion. So look, let's meet up the day after Boxing Day. You know, I'm not doing Christmas Eve, I'm not doing Christmas Day, I'm not doing Boxing Day. The day after, let's meet up, inshallah. All of us meet up, we take the family out, we go somewhere nice, we spend some time together, we connect with the family, we'll have food, all the things you want. But not on your day, and not the food that is custom for those people at that time. And I think it's not easy, because they do come back with you like, you're not respecting us, we respect you, that's a common one. We're respecting you. We respect your religion. We allow you to celebrate Eid. And you don't let us celebrate Christmas. Now this is hard. Because the reality is that there is truth and falsehood. That's the reality. The reality is there is haq and batil. What is after truth except falsehood? So, for, for, I'll be honest with you. Islam is not in this uh, tolerance, yani. I was gonna say fair, but I mean Islam is always fair. But Islam is not tolerant. It's not like, okay, you know, They want you to compromise, and then they're offering to compromise. So, Islam doesn't, doesn't do that. We can't take part. For me, it's a major sin, which might even take a person out of their religion to celebrate a day that is associated with another religious belief. Or even, It's forbidden for me to celebrate a day that's not even associated with a religious belief. So it's very important uh, that a person is clear about it, gentle about it, give them plenty of time to plan around, plenty of alternatives. I remember when I was younger, I used to say to my parents, they used to be like insistent on Christmas presents and birthday presents. Insistent on Christmas presents and birthday presents. And I saw they just wanted to make me happy. I mean, they wanted me to be happy and they wanted me, they wanted to be generous. So I said to them, look, I can't take Christmas and birthday presents. But you know what it is? In Islam, we have two days of Eid. Eid al-Fitr, Eid al-Adha. So if you want to give me the presents you would have given me at Christmas on Eid al-Fitr and you want to give me the presents you would have given me on my birthday at Eid al-Adha, you can still give me presents. But you know, it's not associated with those days. Even if you want to give me a present that's not associated with any day. You say, I don't want to celebrate your religion. You're not going to celebrate mine. Okay, we can give each other presents on any day. We can give each other presents, you know, at the end of January or the beginning of February, but not the 14th. And we can give each other presents in any any other day. Any presents make people love each other. But we can't. If you're okay giving it to me on Eid, alhamdulillah. If you're not give it any other day, but don't make it a day that's associated with religion or something that's associated with non-Muslims. And that's part of my religion. It's tough, but if you're open and honest, the pain is short-lived inshallah. But when you try to hide it and get around it, and yeah, I'll come for Christmas dinner, but it's not Christmas dinner for me, it's the dinner that takes place on that day that might be Christmas day. It's very difficult when you're doing that. Like you end up making them feel worse because in the end, you know that what you're doing is wrong and it causes more tension in the family. So I feel that just be honest with them. If, if, Allah if somebody says, <coughs> they say, look, I cannot, this family will not accept me, then I say, well, I better you leave that day, go stay in a hotel. Hotels are cheap, on, you know, have you ever noticed that? Hotels on Christmas Day well, are very cheap. You can go stay in a nice hotel somewhere, go on a holiday. Don't tell them it's to avoid Christmas if they're going to give you a hard time. See, I've got a winter holiday booked. One week. 23rd of December. <laughs> or one and a half weeks. 23rd of December and I'm back on. I'm coming back. And it may be after New Year. Khalas, two weeks, two and a half weeks, whatever it is. I'm going to come back on this I'm not, you're not gonna see me on, I'm 23rd December, I'm gone. Give me 10 days, 3rd of January, I'm back. It's a winter holiday, very good deal. <laughs> just find one, you go. Wallah, go anywhere you want, just get out. And if you can tell them about it and be honest, Alhamdulillah, if you're really struggling to tell them, just tell them an opportunity came up. An opportunity, a really good opportunity came up to travel. So I'm gonna take this opportunity and forgive me that I'm not gonna be around for these celebrations. Uh, you know, and anyway,s you know I'm not comfortable celebrating them. That's the best I can advise a person to do. Allah knows best. Yeah. More? Do you have
1: any advice for someone trying to do it, Uh but they are finding it difficult and often forget parts. They are afraid of punishment for Would it be better to stop memorizing and focus on just recitation?
0: Type. This is a beautiful question about hifth. People struggling with hifth. In reality, my preference, there are a lot of different ways of memorizing. There's a lot of different ways of doing hifth. But there are certain kind of universal truths when it comes to hifth. The first thing is that hifth with a teacher will always be better than hifth without a teacher. This is a a universal truth. There is no istifna for it. There's no exception for it, except and Allah knows best But as I see there is no exception to the rule Hifth with a teacher will always be better than hifth without a teacher That doesn't mean any teacher You have to find the right person for you But having someone to help you and monitor your memorization will always be better That's the first thing The second thing is There are three types of hifth There is no fourth One is hifthun jadid. New hifth, you never memorized it before This is your new page The other one is hifthun qareeb Hifth that you recently memorized I.e. you've memorized it It's not really firm in there But it's, it's, it's there And hifthun qadeem Memorization that you've memorized And it's solid There's no fourth type There's your new hifth There's your nearly new hifth And there's your old hifth That's it There are different ways to handle it, but the way that I personally do it is that I say we start with, and it depends, you can do either. But for example, you start with your old hifth. That's your wilt every day. Sorry, not your old hifth. You start with your nearly new hifth, hifthun qariib. You start with your almost new hifth. Okay? And this almost new hifth you give the most attention to it. Because it's the one that's most likely to go from you. As for the new one, it never came yet, so there's nothing to go. But the, the one that is nearly new, this is the one you're most likely to make the error in. So you give your time to this, the most of your time you give it to hifthun qareeb Until you're reading it without making mistakes, you keep on it, you don't go to your hifth jadeed. When you're reading it well, without mistakes, now you can go on to your new page. And you can memorize it, and that new page becomes Qarib, Hifthun Qariib, almost nearly new. And again, you revise it until you can revise it without mistakes, then you move on. As for your Hifthun Qadeem, you do it after that, and you do it from your will. You read a will of the Quran. When you see that you're making mistakes in something that is Qadeem, for example, you started reading Surah Al-Mulk, you memorized the ages ago, and now you're making mistakes in it. So what are you going to do? That becomes hifthun qariib. It becomes your hifth that is nearly new, and you again revise, 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 keep going. So for example, someone is memorizing right now, Surah Al-Fatih. Right now, at this moment in time, they are memorizing, they are memorizing Surah Al-Fatih. So if they right now that's their new surah that they're memorizing right now, that means that surah al-hujurat, surah al-Qa- al-qaf, surah al-dhariyat, this is probably nearly new. It's not really solid. Where might they be solid up to? They might say, look, up to for example, surah let's say al-rahman or surah al-munafiqun. I know it really well. Let's say up to surah al-rahman, I know really well. Hujurat, Qath al al-Tur, and al-Najm al-Qamar. It's, you know, it's good, but it's not perfect. So every day you read that portion that is nearly new for you. But while you're reading your Wird, while you're reading your regular Qur'an, you realize that you made a mistake in Surah Al-Hashar. Now Surah Al-Hashar gets added onto the list of nearly new, and you do it every single day until you read it without mistakes, and then again, you progress like that. When you're doing really well on your nearly new hifth, you take a new page. This is a good option. Other people, they say, the problem with this is it means you're very slow to progress, so you can do another thing, which is you always take a new page every day, but that if you're making too many mistakes in your hifth after that, then you stop taking a new page and you revise. That's also an option. So there are three types of hifth, your new hifth, your nearly new hifth and your old hifth. When you separate it like that, you treat each one separately. So old hifth should rarely have a mistake in it, rarely. It's okay if it's just a one-off, it doesn't matter, but it shouldn't be something that's a, re- like a regular thing that you have mistake in your old hifth. You're nearly new, you expect to have mistakes in it. As for your new hifth, in reality, there are a couple of key points. The first one is you have two key variables. Maybe three, but you have two key, I believe two key variables. One is how many times you repeat it, and one is how long of a piece you memorize at once. So start off with a very small amount of of content, repeated many, many times, because there are two types of hifth, true hifth and false hifth. False hifth is like, take any ayah, I can take any ayah now, I can open the Quran in any ayah, just open it in, Surat An-Nur. Just go down to any any ayah from Surat An-Nur. Just pick any ayah out. Let's try to pick a surah that most people don't know. But if I just pick any ayah from Surat An-Nur. And I say for example, If I repeat this three, four times, everyone in this room memorize it, promise. But if I ask you 10 minutes later, most people, it won't be there. So, this is what we call hifthun kadib. It's a false hifth. It's telling you you memorized, but you didn't. So, you need to do it more than that. 50 times, 100 times. And you keep repeating it again and again and again and again. 50 times or 100 times until it's stuck. Then when you go to the next ayah, this is the next point. When you go to the next ayah, what you don't do is memorize that ayah separately. No, you don't memorize it separately. Now you must connect it to the ayah before. وَيُبَيِّنُ اللَّهُ لَكُمُ الْآيَاتِ وَاللَّهُ عَلِيمٌ حَكِيمٌ إِنَّ الَّذِينَ So you must connect the ayat together. Otherwise what happens, people memorize pages separately, right? One page, then another page. One wedge, then another wedge, like that. And then what happens is they cannot connect a page to a page. So you see them in Salah, Fajr is one page. No way I can read more than one page because I don't know how to connect one page to another one. You must connect it. Tayyib, how much revision must you do? I would say for your old hif, it's very simple. The first five juz of the Quran, you can get away with reading one juz a day. So if your hif is five juz or less, you can get away with mem- with you can get away with revising one juz a day. If you're on Juz Amma and Juz Tabarak, you should read them every single day. Juz Amma, if you're on it, you should read every single day. If you're up to five Juz, you can read one Juz a day. From five Juz up to about 20 Juz, so that's the next 15 Juz, you can get away with reading two a day. Once you go past 20 Juz, you should aim to read three Juz of revision, three Ajza of revision every single day. If you do this, and if when you finish the Qur'an, you make your most effort for about two to three years in making it really, really solid, inshallah, that is gonna be like it's written on a stone. It's not gonna go. And I don't say that because I achieved it. I don't believe my hifth is like that, but it's the more you do it, the more you realize where you went wrong, right? Like you analyze, like for me, for example, I know that when I first did my first few ajza, I couldn't read the Qur'an. So I was listening and repeating. So I still think that my juzuamma and tabarak is weaker than the rest of the Quran for me. Even though I read it to my shaykh, I read it to my shaykh many times. But I still feel it's weak for me because I, I was at that time I was a new Muslim, I couldn't read. So I would just listen and repeat, listen and repeat. And the ones that I learned later, I feel like I, that my ada, my, my recitation is better than the ones that I learned earlier. Even though we tried to correct it, but it is what it is. So a person looks at why they went wrong and they begin to correct it. Never despair, yet. don't despair at all. And also remember that the Quran has what we call Quran, <laughs> the manners of the people who carry the Quran. So if you don't have the manners of the one who carries the Quran in their heart, Allah will not give you the Quran to carry in your heart. Or Allah will give it to you and take it away from you. You have to have the manners that the Quran brought. So you carry the Quran, and you represent the Quran. And if you do that, Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala will increase and make it firm in your heart. As for those people who completed their hifth, I would advise that they spend around two years after completing it to make it really, really strong before they go for another qira'a or riwayah. Really make it absolutely rock solid. After that, I would recommend they don't stop, but they go for the... Muqaddimah of a shatibiyyah Hirzul Amani wa tahani and they take the introduction to it, and then they memorize another riwayah like they memorized the first one. So they don't learn it from Shatibiyyah. They go and they learn another riwayah, like, for example, Shu'bah, and they learn it like they learned Hafs. They memorize it again from the very, very beginning, all the way to Surah an nas By the way, what order should you memorize the Qur'an? Two options. Either you memorize the whole Qur'an back, meaning from Fatiha, then Surat Al-Nas, Surat Al-Falaq, Surat Al-Ikhlas, Tabat Yada, Surat Al-Nasr, Surat Al-Kafirun, you go backwards. Or you go backwards up to five ajza, and then you go forwards from Al-Baqarah, whichever you prefer. But I find going forwards from Al-Baqarah is good, but ba- Al-Baqarah is very long. It's the longest surah in the Qur'an. So some people get disheartened because as soon as they get to surah Al-Hujurat, they take them, or surah Qaf, they take them straight to surah Al-Baqarah. So I actually prefer now that you go backwards all the way. And you go all the way backwards. So the last surah that you do is surah Al-Baqarah because it's, then it's more achievable for you. But if you do five ajza from the back and then you do uh, surah Al-Baqarah from the front, there's no inshallah harm in it. Uh, As I said, after you've finished and you made it solid, now what you're gonna do is you're gonna take a new riwayah, a new style of reading the Quran. But you're gonna learn it like you learned hafs, Same, hifth with a teacher. Page one, page two, page three. It'll be quicker because you already know the pages, but just some changes in it. Then what you're gonna do is take another riwayah, a third riwayah. Until now, you have not started to learn from Ash-Shatibiya, you, you're learning just, you memorize your third way of reciting the Quran. For example, you're going to do Warsh and Nafi' and Warsh and Nafi' from Ash-Shatibiya. But you're going to do it with your teacher from Baqarah until Surat An-Nas. When you've done three, now what you can do is, you don't need to do the others like that. You can just learn the rules of each one. Why do you need about three? Because it will teach you how to manage the different rules and what they sound like. So, you'll learn the difference, for example, between the sound which is a complete, yani the sound which is an alif, and the pronunciation of that alif, maqsura, which comes out with the sound like ayah, and the one that is Baina- Baina, the one that is between the two. So, you will learn the difference between Musa, and Musa, and Musa. you learn the difference between the three, and you read it to your teacher. So, now you take shatibiyah from beginning to end. You take hirz amani wa wajh tahani from beginning to end. And then you learn it like that. And from there, you can finish the qiraat. You take a durrah. And then you take tayyibat al-nashar. And you finish the qiraat al-kubara wa sughra And that's not to say that I did it, but just to say that this is the journey that we are trying to do. For this is my advice, that people don't stop. They keep on memorizing. Because this will make you solid. I'll be honest, when I started reading Warsh, I realized the weakness I had in Hafs. I didn't know how weak my hafs was until I started reading Welsh. I thought my hafs was rock solid. And I started reading walsh and I realized, it's go back, (laughs) you need to fix your hafs. For like that, you keep pushing yourself. Otherwise, when you stay like that, you stay stuck in a place you never progress. At least start progressing bit by bit. For that's what I think about the issue of memorizing the Quran and don't be disheartened. It feels like a big journey When you're on Surat uh, you know, Al-Nabha It feels like the whole world is ahead of you Wallahi in the end it doesn't take As long as you think it will take Just keep on pushing But don't accept this hift kathib This false hift Just keep pushing yourself And keep reading again and again and again and again Do it a hundred times If a hundred times not enough Do it two hundred times each ayah If two hundred times not enough Do it four hundred times each ayah Don't worry about it Just do it You'll get there in the end it's amazing and I just want to finish with this. Many many people don't think how big is the Quran, the Mushaf? 600 bit pages, 600 pages approximately. If you did one page a day, you would finish in less than 2 years. If you did half a page a day, half a page a day, you would finish in how long? Any less than 4 years, any 3 years and a tiny bit. Yeah. If you did a quarter of a page a day, still within maybe six years to seven years, you will finish. You know, if you did one line a day, still, you know, you can, like there are 15 lines on the page, right? Even one line a day. Subhanallah, In Subhanallah, if you did one line a day, in a month, you completed two pages. Wallahi, you know, it's amazing what you could achieve. And there are people sitting who didn't even memorize Khisar al the baby surahs. One line a day, in a month you're going to finish two pages. By just one line a day. SubhanAllah, that means inside of your first year you already finished juz'am. And trust me, you'll not stay on a line a day. Because a line a day in the beginning will be enough. The next year you do two lines a day. And now you finished tabarak and you finished qad sami. And then the next year you can, do, you can go to a quarter page a day. And by the end of it, subhanAllah, you'll finish. But the one who isn't progressing because they're not, they're trying to take too much too quickly, or they're not reading at all, this person is not gonna finish, uh, and Allah knows best. As for the issue of punishment of forgetting the Qur'an, forgetting the Qur'an, the punishment is of two types. One is being negligent with the Qur'an by not revising it. And the other one is not acting upon it. As for trying to memorize the Qur'an, and being caused to forget a line or missing a word or forgetting a word that's not a sin in the first place but the sin is two types being negligent with regard to revising the Quran and letting it go or the sin is not acting upon what you have memorized hada wallahu aalam was salatu ala muhammad wa alihi ajma'in